do it now. If you're gonna make a change, make a change now because you're not getting any younger. And these mistakes that we make in our youth can be fixed. We can outgrow them. And that little snippet from the audio is Sarah, technical recruiter extraordinaire with Truveris, which is, I mean, a couple little fun factoids about Truveris is that they've processed over 2 billion transactions, 8 million covered members, and about 6.5 billion in savings. They handle quite a lot spanning the prescription drug ecosystem. So we get in this episode into kind of finding a job, recruiting, you know, basically if you want to like find a job or learn how to find good employees, like or trying to find a job, then this is a great episode for you. Tune in every Tuesday to the Learning with Lowell podcast with me, your host, Lowell, to hear world-class scientists, startup founders, CEOs, and authors, people who you wouldn't normally hear about, but are making huge waves all the same. You'll understand them and their work by hearing their passion, laughter, advice, and hearing them, the experts, break down what they're working on so that you can learn, push the boundaries of your knowledge and understanding. Three quick ways to show your support and get unique, exclusive, and fun content is by checking out learningwithlowell.com website, our Patreon page. Even if it's just a buck, it keeps this advertisement free. And subscribing. There's a there's a book called written in conjunction with Peter Thiel based off of a course he did at Stanford, I believe, called Zero to One. And in it, he talks about how there's a way to basically make monopolies. And one of them is like a personal monopoly. Like, what are you great at that no one else can compete with you with? And so I'm curious, what are the things that you're a monopoly about? Or like, what skills are you so great at that is kind of a monopoly? I think what led me to doing recruiting is my ability to connect with people at any level of expertise or, you know, anybody who's going through any sort of struggle and be able to relate to them or relate to their their stories and also to translate, not necessarily between different languages, but to take what someone is giving me and help them get what they want or help them get to their end goal, which could be something as like, you know, ridiculous as going through a job description with a hiring manager who's like, I don't know what I need, you know, to things going on at home and trying to like dissect like, well, what are you, what are you really looking for? Like, what are you trying to get at? And I think that led me to be a good matchmaker, you know, connecting with people and translating their needs kind of hand in hand. Kind of Abraham Lincoln had the, to put you in even a great light, Abraham Lincoln had the same (laughs) ability to kind of like get to the the root of things. And like he would, I'm curious if you can do this where he would, hear what someone is doing and think on what he knew about the person and then say, all right, if this is what they're doing, then they're probably going to do A, B, and C. Like, are you able to take what you learn by being so incisive and then kind of like be predictive in what people do? Oh, absolutely. I think that being able to read a person well and get to know them, which, you know, sometimes takes lots of time. You can you can sort of guess how somebody is going to respond to something. Or like in my line of work, we have, you know, weighted priorities where is it more important for someone to be able to write Python code on day one? Or is it more important that they know the foundations and the algorithms of building the code, even if that means that all of their experience has been in another language? And I think that that is a 
something that engineers argue about. And some would say one and some would say the other, but you have to know your stakeholder to be able to make that decision. So yeah, absolutely. Like with all of my hiring managers, you kind of have to think for them on what would they do in this scenario to, you know, really just to save time and, and effort. Something I've kind of noticed is that after you've known someone for a little bit, or you get a good sense of who they are, you kind of notice that they say the same three things, or like they, <laughs> like how they respond, how they respond to situations around them. It's almost like like a pattern, almost like they're a robot. Do you ever do you ever feel that way, or have you ever noticed? Have you noticed anything like that? I mean, not to not to get really dark or deep on you, but maybe as I've gotten older in age, yes. <laughs> I feel I feel less and, and less original in my mind all the time, which is kind of sad. But I think that's why, you know, you read books and keep in touch with the, the media and, you know, get introduced to new art all the time so you can keep that creative spark going. That's right. So then how to kind of like delve into that idea of perpetual growth, perpetual like challenging of yourself. Are there any specific examples? I have been listening to podcasts by Breen Brown and her whole focus is on creativity and how to incorporate creativity or be more creative or more innovative in anything that you're doing, mostly at your job. A lot of her end goal is to relate her research to business operations. But I've been listening to her to you know, keep the creative juices flowing, especially as a recruiter. You can't get upset if you're not finding the right people when you've only been visiting the same three resources you've always visited. You have to constantly change with your, with your audience. So think of new ways to reach out to people. And that can be really difficult sometimes, just thinking of new outreach ideas. That's interesting. This kind of touches on your like, more technical-mindedness because I, I believe you have a a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, I think, or chemical engineering. Which which one was it again? So I studied chemical engineering in school, but I, so admittedly, I didn't do my senior, I didn't do my fifth year of chemical engineering because I, after a couple of internships, decided that it wasn't for me, the hands-on manufacturing piece of it. So I cashed in all of my credits for a degree in chemistry. I, I think, I think chemistry is kind of wizardry to me, even though I can't understand <laughs> genetics and how that works, but chemistry—I don't know why I can't understand that without understanding chemistry fully. I, I'm sure there's probably some like deeper things there that I'm missing. But it's magical, <laughs> yeah, right? Like it, I just—I feel like it's like almost like alchem, al- alchemy, alchemistry, alchem, alchemy, right? Mm-hmm. Saying, I'm, I'm having like a, a tongue problem, but so it reminds me of how Einstein was. A lot of people thought of him as like this powerhouse of numbers, but equally if not more so important was his ability to be creative and like how he thought of relativity was he was like sitting on a bus or he was looking at a droplet of water or he was looking at a clock and thought of like how things relate via time and it wasn't like he was looking at numbers and he realized much better numbers on how the world looked it's all like how creativity comes into it so i I love hearing that you you know as like a, a person with like really strong foundation in science like are very actively engaged in learning more about creativity. Do you do, do you do any like, cause he, he played the violin to kind of like maximize and like enhance that. And maybe yours is looking at art, but do you, do you paint or anything like that? I don't paint. I play the piano a little bit. I would say juvenile piano I can play and I enjoy that. That's fun. And I like music. Oh, I also quilt a lot, which is it's pretty dorky, but I <laughs> I love it. I, I so I don't like to keep any of it because then I would have like a million quilts all over my house. So it's usually my go to gift 
And I like creating something for someone else because then I get to think about, well, what do they like? And, you know, what colors do they like? What scheme would pop out to them? And then that way I get to make something different every time. And I generally go for like baby quilts because they're smaller. But <laughs> but that's I, I do like to quilt a lot. I actually ordered some fabric yesterday so I could do some new ones. Is there one that you're particularly proud of that you wouldn't mind sharing? Like sure. So I did a cascading quilt which was pretty cool. And that was fun because I got to play around with the colors a lot. So I made two baby quilts for my two older sisters who had kids around the same time. And what I did was I bought two packs of charm squares and mixed them all together and then divided them in half again so that they would have quilts that were cut from the same cloth as they were. And then I did different patterns for each sister. And the cascading quilt, I just love. I also had more time to work on it, um, but it almost looks like the squares are falling from space. It's all on my Instagram, too, if you wanted to look at it. I need to get on Instagram. I feel like an old man sometimes. I'm not on (laughs) all the social medias. There's too many. I recently learned what low-key meant. I did not know that that was a thing. Low-key? Like like on the down low? Yes, I did not. I didn't. I kind of guessed, but like, I don't know. Like people, I was I was out in San Francisco recently, and there's this person that kept using millennial terms, and I I just stared at him like, what are you What are you trying to say to me? <laughs> he was just trying to say he had like a, a weird encounter with a like a homeless person. I'm like, my God, man, I feel like we're speaking two different languages, and, and I'm old. I'm younger than you. That's but, funny. Um, yeah, right. Like it's very 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 weird the way people talk nowadays. But um, <laughs> so. When it comes to like the business of recruiting, what what about it keeps you coming back to it? Because I think you've been doing it for, if I had to guess, I think it's like five to seven years. Yeah, about, yeah, six years, just about, so perfect. I like learning about new positions. I like talking to different people. So for example, I, you know, I was brought on as a internal recruiter at Truveris really to focus on engineering. And a lot of companies complain that it's so hard to find quality engineers and find like quality engineering talent. So that's where, you know, you kind of need to start. I think engineers and sales are probably the most difficult <laughs> to recruit for. Sales, not because they're hard to find or because they're difficult to talk to. They're the easiest to talk to, but you can't bullshit a bullshitter or sell a salesman. My hat's off to sales recruiters. But yeah, I keep coming back, you know, because I get to explore new jobs all the time and, and talk to people about what they do for a living. And, you know, maybe it's something that I have no idea about. And now I'm starting to branch out into operations recruitment at my company because engineering hiring has slowed a little bit. And, you know, I'm talking to pharmacists and, you know, people in the commercial pharmacy space, I'm talking to marketing researchers and data scientists and what they do fascinates me and it keeps me entertained enough to, you know, to do the, the grunt work, I guess you could call it. To kind of like pay, to pay back your, the nerdy comment you made earlier about quilting, <laughs> whenever someone says, and I will, I will, you know, this will lead to a question, I swear, but mm. whenever someone says, I am entertained. I always think of the Gladiator movie where he yells, are you entertained? And like throws a spear at someone. I haven't seen that movie. But so when you just said that, I just imagined Russell Crowe yelling, are you entertained? But with like your voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess I have to entertain the candidates a little bit too. I mean, they entertain me more, I think. But I do have to kind of always be selling the ABCs of sales in a sense that, you know, you want to keep them interested in the job. You want to play to what their 
interests are, what their goals are in their career. You know, really listen when they tell you what they're looking for or what their complaints might be about their current position and be honest, you know, in that maybe we can or or cannot provide that change for them. Well, I heard that I'm going to, I wrote down my question, so I'll remember it later. But the, I remember someone was telling me that you're not supposed to tell someone, like when you're looking at a new job, like if I was interviewing, like you were interviewing me for a job at, at uh, Traveris, I'm not supposed to tell you what I dislike about my current job because mm-hmm. that like makes you, it'll make the, per- make you feel like I'll just complain about you when you're not around. Is that, mm-hmm. is that fair? Or Yeah, definitely. So I think it takes a little bit of homework on the part of the candidate and, and thinking about how can, like what, what sort of changes would make your current work environment more enjoyable? So you know, maybe you don't like your boss, but what is it about your boss that you don't like? Is it the way that they choose to communicate with you? Is it just a bad culture fit? You know, do they not give you enough resources? And try and think of uh, tangible things that you could even make a list of and what kind of changes would make your, your work life, I don't know, more acceptable to stay there. And then see if those are even things that you could change by by finding a new job. A lot of times I find that people are upset about things that they can't really, they're not going to accomplish just by going somewhere else. And other people, absolutely. And then I would present that in such a way that you would say, well, I'm looking for more of this, whatever that might be. And, you know, Ideally, you want to use, you know, positive wording, like I'm looking for a company that invests in its employees and that cares about employee growth and and internal opportunities for, you know, promotions upward or, you know, whatever that might be, or progression upward. Or I'm looking for a company that values family life or that values their employees' personal time. I'm looking for a better work-life balance or I'm looking for a more positive work culture or maybe a work culture that matches my morale, uh, my moral compass a little bit better. And I think that implies what the issues are at your current job without saying you know, oh, I hate it when they do this. I hate it when they do this. Because then, you know, we kind of see that as somebody who is just a complainer, you know, who knows if they've even tried to make changes work at their current place. We want somebody who is going to make changes for the positive. So if they want to use examples like, you know, I made the suggestion of implementing a new software that I thought would be really helpful to the company and I made a presentation on it. And, you know, these are the reasons why we should have this, et cetera, et cetera. And they had closed ears about it and they weren't open to any sort of change. So then I tried doing this other thing and that didn't work out. I think if you can show that you're making an effort in your job to make it work, whatever issue you might have, that's also helpful. And I don't see that so much as complaining because at least they, at least they're trying. Touching on one point you you mentioned on this idea of upward mobility. I, I have a friend who like was at a, a place like a it's a very well known place so I won't say the name but you could probably guess it they have an, have a, a talking animal but though a lot of them have talking animals nowadays I don't know what that is <laughs> they they kept promising my friend that they would there would be promotions and stuff like that because they had all the requirements of being a manager actually the manager who hired that person was underqualified based on their current qualifications and so they spent a year there. And they just kept promoting other people who were who were there longer, even though they were saying like, hey, 
you know, you were number two and we pro- like they kept promising like, hey, you're next, you're next, I'm the next time there's a promotion coming up. Like, how do you, when, when do you, as like a, an employee or like someone looking at a place, when do you decide how many promises does a place have to break before you just know it's not right? You know, if that makes sense. Right. Well, I think it's not so so much the question of, well, how many times does this have to happen? But it kind of goes back to my original idea that, you know, is changing jobs going to alleviate the issues that you're having now? Or are you just going to keep having these same issues in your next job? And I think people need to look at themselves more closely and look at their actions. And, you know, this happens a lot in our company. We have people that want to make a change, whether that's a lateral change or into a more manager position, but they're not willing to put in the time to hone in on those skills. We have people that are in grad school for something completely different than what they're doing at at Truveris right now. And they're they're like, well, when am I going to be ready in your eyes to make this transition. And we'll say, well, you know, have you been working on additional projects that would help you with these skills? Have you been shadowing, you know, the product manager so that you can learn how to develop, you know, proper roadmaps? Have you been asking your superior for additional projects related to that? Have you gone out there and just created work for yourself? And I think that you have to create the opportunities for yourself and, and just sort of, just sort of, do it and ask for forgiveness later. At least that's kind of been my, I've had a positive experience doing that, whether that's in new business development. You know, I had a boss who wanted me to work with hedge funds and, and law firms because that's where the, the money is. And he was like, I want you to cold call those businesses and recruit for those businesses because you'll get regular stable business. But I felt that my, I, I enjoyed the culture fit better of the startup companies. And I was really attracted to that passion. So in my own time, in my free time, I would spend time researching startups to call and cold call those those business managers and stakeholders and, and see if they're hiring. And then also recruit and work on those jobs again in my own time. And if I could prove to my manager, hey, look, I was able to pick up, you know, three, four startup clients by cold calling on my own. And I was able to successfully recruit and place these engineers in these different startup companies and make money doing it. Now, is this something that you believe in that I could do on work time or like during the work day and not just on my lunch break or in the evening? And I think if you can prove that you can do it before they even ask you to do it, that's the best way to to gain growth and, and opportunity. And if your manager doesn't recognize that, then by all means, make a change, which also happened at my previous role where I think my manager and I were just a misfit. And so I went to the president of the company, uh, the owner of the company, and I said, you know, I've been working with this person for several years now. We have lots of check-ins, and I think we just disagree on a lot of really basic principles of operations, and, and I think we're just different recruiters at heart. Like, we just operate differently, and I'd like to go off on my own. Or, you know, if you aren't ready for me to do that yet, then maybe work with another manager if you think there's still things that I need to learn before going off on my own. And I was able to to get my own desk and run and manage myself basically after doing that. So I think you just have to be afraid or not afraid to upset people and not afraid to like 
break a few eggs, I guess, along the way. But you definitely have to be willing to put in the time and the effort to make yourself better. If they're not giving you the opportunities at work, then, you know, sign up for classes on the weekends or start a project of your own. My husband is an architect and he is applying for jobs here in South Florida and every single one of them asks for Revit and he's never used Revit ever. So he's bought the software on his own dime and is doing projects on his own just to learn how to use it. He's rebuilding or designing our house that we're going to be moving into in a couple of weeks in Revit. And he's also just designing a project that he saw on the street the other day. He was driving by. I don't think that I don't think that he's hoping that he's going to win that business <laughs> uh, on his first try and actually be able to propose, you know, a multifamily home complex and on his elementary Revit skills. But how else is he going to get that experience unless someone gives him the opportunity to do it? Oh, I love that. I love the making your own opportunity, you know, not not stopping at the end of the workday and finding the things. If you, you know, you have that drive to keep pushing yourself to be better, you know, if you if you wouldn't have done those things, you know, the extracurricular, shall we say, a phone call, it's like, there's, I doubt the president would have allowed you to kind of like experiment on your own. And so I, I love to see like that extra effort being rewarded. Like sometimes I think people fear like, oh, if I do this work, we'll be rewarded. And I think I think it's almost like the wrong way to think about it. Like, will he be rewarded? It's you will be rewarded by having like what you're saying, like with your husband, he's being rewarded with his experience and knowledge on how to do that, which can be transferred to other areas. Even in the idea of like knowing how to pick up a new software or a new architect device thing, for lack of a better term, and right. be able to quickly adapt to it. I think, I think that skill set in and of itself is extremely valuable. And I think like a lot of people that I've talked with or like a number of people that I've talked with, I get the sense that like, the idea that the, someone won't pat them on the back or like say thank you or anything like that, somehow a detractant when in fact, if you do all those things and they don't appreciate the value you just developed into yourself, well, you just made yourself more valuable. Like someone else out there is going to appreciate you, you know, and pay, probably pay you more too. So. Yeah. And, and your manager should be aware of that. So if they, I mean, I guess the answer, like your original question, if your manager isn't recognizing the extra effort that, that you're making and they don't recognize that you have the potential to do more and they're not giving you more, then I would say if you have explored, you know, every other avenue, maybe making a internal transfer, maybe there's another team that you would like to work on, or you've talked to, you know, C-level management to see if there's somewhere else that they would like you to be. If they don't value you, then I think it's time for a change. Transitioning back to the thing, I was going to ask a couple of questions ago, which is you, you mentioned you are now recruiting, not just for engineering, but for sales and operations type roles. And so kind of touching back on the Peter Thiel book I, I mentioned where he talks about like there's seven characteristics, seven or seven to, seven to 10 characteristics he looks for in a company to determine whether or not it's going to be really successful. And so I'm curious, are there in those arenas that you recruit for, are there key determinants for being particularly successful? Whatever that quality might be changes from company to company. And really big thing now that I you know, I've been listening to some different podcasts and, and reading things on recruiting for the future is marketing and branding and developing your em employer brand. And you can be like the hottest company on earth. But if you don't have a brand that you're putting out there to attract people to come work for you, then then why should they? So your brand should reflect the qualities that your company values. So for I was just talking to somebody 
at, they're kind of at the the next level startup beyond Series D, but almost twice in size to, to us as my recruiter friend at Movable Inc. Theirs is grit and compassion. And there's one other, creativity, grit, compassion, and creativity. And they are not marketing, <laughs> not an ad tech company because they hate that, but they do you know, help with email campaigns for, for companies. And that's the, that's the kind of people that they, that they focus on. And they found that those are the people that are most successful at their company are the ones that are creative and they have grit and it's all about your attitude and, you know, not necessarily what activities you like to do on the side, or, you know, maybe you're a little bit of a weirdo, like that's their jam. They like that. At Truveris, we believe in passion for improving healthcare. I would say, Pretty much every single person in the company has an altruistic nature. It doesn't matter what that is. It could be kids, caring for animals, but I've never seen such high volume of activity when we have some sort of nonprofit event going on in the office. You know, like we did the the summer backpack drive and I'm pretty sure like 90% of our employees donated like an entire backpack worth of supplies. So that's something, you know, just for our company personally, but lots of other companies, you know, they believe in other things like quantity over quality. My last job, they were like, you have to love being on the phone and you're going to be making a lot of phone calls. So if you're not an extrovert, and it doesn't matter what kind of extrovert, like this isn't for you. So I think doing your research on the company that you're applying for and genuinely feeling like those traits or those values of that company brand speak to you, then, you know, that's kind of what you want to emphasize while you're there. Kind of going off of this concept, there's two methods on an abstract level that I've noticed people go through or decide to go through when it comes to applying for places. There's the specific, they've done the research, they research maybe 10 companies a day and they find maybe one of them that's like, wow, I really wish I could work there. And then they send a personalized application. And there's other people who kind of, you know, skim a little bit, see what the position is, see if they could do it well, and then kind of apply for maybe nine out of the 10, <laughs> or like mm-hmm. a higher number. <laughs> so it's like the, the laser focused one versus the shotgun effect. I'm curious as someone who's done this for a long time, is, is there is there one that tends to work better for converting into a role that is actually what someone would want to do and like be successful in like or like converting to like a, a well-paying significant job performance type job does that make sense You mean does their like does their focus on applying for the job turn into an evaluation of performance at all like on the actual jobs that you mean I mean in the sense like have you seen have you seen one result in does 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 one tend to result in better results? I think is the question I'm trying to ask. Well, I think the I think the more you know about the company that you're applying for, the better chance that you'll have of getting that job. Which sounds like a no brainer, but in more than just in terms of like, oh, I've done my internet research. But one of the biggest successes that we've seen and a lot of other companies have seen is hiring based on referrals. So look at the people in your company that currently work for the company that are doing a great job. Who do they know? Who are they friends with? Where did they work before? Do they have colleagues that they're still in touch with? Would they even feel comfortable reaching out to them? And then that sort of peer-to-peer relationship, those make for the best hires. And part of the reason they do so well and they stay so long, referral hires that is, is because they know things about the company that can't be read on paper or on the internet. They have like the inside scoop into what the work-life balance is. And they know ahead of time 
um, if this is going to be a good match for them. Whereas a lot of people, when they apply online, you know, you really don't know a company very well until you've worked with them for 90 days, six months, maybe even a year. And now you feel like, oh, now I've got your number. But it takes a really long time. And it's kind of, that's why the, you know, the interview process is so scary because um, it's like dating if you only had three dates and then you had to get married or not. And you're like, well, what are my other options? I don't know. Is there anyone else that's better out there? Are there other companies that could be a better fit? And then you just kind of see how it goes, right? You either take the the plunge or you don't. But I would say definitely the people that are more laser focused on a specific application, they're going to do a better job at catering their cover letter, if any. I, I rarely see a cover letter these days, I'll be honest. And it doesn't bother me. I'm sure it would (laughs) probably bother some other HR managers or recruiters. But those people that take the time to actually write a reason why they're applying, very helpful and helps them to stand out. Reaching out to the recruiter on LinkedIn and sending them a personal message. Hi, I'm sure you probably get a lot of applications on your ATS or on your website. I just wanted to introduce myself personally in case you were the one running point on this search and to introduce myself and maybe we could set up a quick chat. That person, I'm like, wow, they really want to work for us. Like, I'm going to make the time to answer them. They're now on my radar in two different places. And it just shows what their level of interest is. So are they a safe bet? Uh, You know, probably. Are they going to be worth my time interviewing them? Probably. So, you you know, you kind of have to think about those things as well. But I mean, if you want to do if you just want to find a job as quickly as possible, then sure, you know, applying to as many places as possible and reaching out to as many people is going to get you more options. I always make that suggestion to people when they're looking. I'm like, reach out to as many recruiters in that field as possible, because then they're going to send you lots of different options for you to choose from. So we've been talking about a number of ways people can do the right thing find out where they belong. What are some common ways that you've noticed that people can kind of goof up on and get them unintentionally disqual not maybe not disqualified, but like not take care of things in a way that would maximize their probability of getting a job? A big complaint I get is that the candidate doesn't have any questions, which can be, you know, sometimes I know it's hard to come up with questions on the spot and you tend to think about tangible questions when really we're looking for curiosity and interest. We just want to know that you're interested in us and that you have done your research and doing your research also shows that you're interested in that and that you care. And to go on what we said earlier, the more you research and the more you care, probably the more invested you'll be in your work on a daily basis and do a good job. So I get complaints mostly from our product developers, the ones that the products is is their baby. They complain that the candidates don't ask enough questions about what our products are and what they do. And they're like, you know, they didn't seem interested at all. That's usually a showstopper. Do you think there's a component there where people don't want to seem ignorant? Like maybe they, they kind of like understand like the basics of it, but they don't want to be like, this is what you do, but I don't understand it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, you mean like if somebody, I don't know, I I guess it goes both ways because there's definitely people that think that they know everything. And so then they're like, I don't want to get to the point where I'm just coming up with questions just for the sake of asking questions when I already know the answer. I mean, if that's really the way you feel, then you're not being very creative. And I think on the other side of things, you know, with the people that maybe don't know everything, but they're afraid to show that, like they're afraid to, to show that they don't have that experience or whatever it might be, that 
kind of depends on the position in the company that you're applying for. You know, it's 50-50, I would say. In a lot of roles, you know, we're either backfilling somebody who's left and we need a very specific kind of person that can hit the ground running and they have to have to have specific experience. And then there's other roles that we're like, you know, we're beefing up this team. We're willing to take on somebody to train. They really just need the basic necessities to get the job done, or they have to have the skills there to build on, but they don't necessarily need to have like the years of experience. And then we're just looking for somebody who's moldable and curious and can learn. So it sort of depends. I I think if you have questions, ask them. There's nothing wrong with being honest. If anything, it just saves you time or, or heartache when you find out that you are not a good fit for this job because you lied during the interview process or or the interview process just gets dragged out longer and then you don't you still don't get the job in the end i always think it's kind of weird when people choose to lie because i I feel like stuff like that it's like a short-term gain with some like really significant long-term disadvantages (laughs) yeah you're you're basically saying hey this company is full of smart people and it's probably gonna be around for a while and i want to make money here so i'm gonna lie to get involved get involved there and then you're 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 hoping that they're dumb enough not to notice that you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that. I feel like you're gonna get found out. Like why, why why do that? It's much better to I see I see challenge as and this is like my second thought. Like challenge should be like ignorance should be a challenge. Like if you don't know something, challenge yourself to learn. You know, like if you don't know if you know a component of what you know they're building, but you don't know all of it. Like be like, hey, I don't know what that is. Be enthusiastic about learning it. I feel like exactly what you're, you've been saying. Like, hey, if you show that you care, you know, you don't have to be right. I think there's like this fear of being wrong a lot, which kind of is the under, underpinning or one of the, the things associated with being ignorant is that like they feel like they don't want to be wrong. Like you're wrong if you choose to be ignorant, you know, and I think ignorance is kind of a choice because you can choose to just kind of accept that or you can choose to kind of like challenge it and try and learn as much as you can, either through questions in the interview or the your own research that you do. But and then the last thing I always think of, consider anything that you want to know until you ask. So it's like, what do you, what is the work culture right, right here? And if you, I mean, if you're curious about the work culture and you don't ask, then you don't get to know what it is. So like consider anything and know until you ask, and which seems to like be a pretty good way to go about things. And, and people shouldn't be afraid to ask questions because, you know, it's just as important that you like where you work as we like working with you. So it's just as big of a decision for somebody to be making, to make, you know, to make a move or, or to work with a place because, you, you know, this is something that's going to affect your life for, you know, possibly years to come at the very least months. <laughs> so you should, you should ask all of those questions. Um, and again, it's like dating, which goes both ways. So, you know, yes, we're going to interview you and make sure that you have all the skills and, and experience necessary to be successful in this position, but you should definitely be asking questions to make sure that this is where you want to spend, you know, the next few years of your life. As someone who's been doing a podcast for a little bit, I've been doing a lot more of the question asking, and I can tell they're not used to it. <laughs> they're just like, why is this guy asking me so many questions? And like, I I feel like it's probably a good thing, their, their responses. But, so when kind of transitioning over into people developing themselves, because you went from, and this is just like a crazy story of itself, but you basically just jumped into New York City, which is kind of a crazy place. Like, it's not known for being very welcoming. And forcing yourself to survive. And so I'm curious for people, for people also wanting to make transitions into either new areas, like I'm considering moving to Boston, for instance. So this will be related to, you know, it'll be able to help me. But 
What type of advice would you give someone who's looking to make a, a transition? Well, something that stuck with me that helped me to to take that risk to make a big move and because it's scary, you know, what if you hate it when you get there sort of deal is that do it now. If you're going to make a change, make a change now because you're not getting any younger. And these mistakes that we make in our youth can be fixed. We can outgrow them. It's the same thing with investments. You know, when you're investing your money, they say, make the riskier investments when you're younger, because if you lose that money, it's okay. You're still in the workforce. You can make that money back. If you make that sort of risky investment when you're 50 or 60 years old and you just lost your retirement, you're kind of SOL. So making those decisions when you're younger is the best, you know. Do more internships, take weird jobs, work with anyone who sees potential in you and and give that a chance. You never know, you might like it. So, I mean, my motivation for leaving South Florida and moving to New York, I mean, I had a lot of support. I had a very supportive boyfriend from college and his dream had always been to move to New York City and of all cities to be comfortable with. That's one that I had gone on, you know, lots of trips with my family to. And I also felt pretty comfortable. I also had one of my best friends from high school was in grad school in Brooklyn. I had other engineers from my engineering fraternity at school, as well as like connections from Florida that lived up there. There's a big Florida population in New York, probably because New York and Florida and California, you know, Hollywood, we're all transplants. So nobody is like really from from there. But yeah, and then and New York is, you know, I would say environmentally, maybe not so welcoming in the sense that like it smells and everything is really expensive. And it takes a minimum of half an hour to get anywhere. But it is welcoming in a sense that, again, everybody is a transplant. So, you know, you're all kind of in this together. And I think no matter where you start your career or do that change, like there's going to be new people everywhere. And eventually you won't be the new person anymore and it won't be so bad. But yeah, my recommendation would be if you're thinking about it, do it and do it now, not later. I'll take that advice and let you know how it goes. (laughs) Well, uh, a plane ticket from Chicago to Boston, to use a specific example, it's only like 55 bucks. So it's like... So when it when it comes to this is a question I, I don't think I've ever asked you, which is mentorship and how it relates. Like how has mentorship come into your life? And so I'm I'm curious, have you ever had have you have you had mentors or are you kind of more of a self starter who like listens very acutely to what goes on around her and just like the ace detective that <laughs> figures things out? Or like, <laughs> I am definitely, definitely not completely self-made. <laughs> no, I, I've had lots of, of great mentors over the years, starting with in college. You know, I was in an engineering fraternity and I had a, a big brother. We were all brothers because it was a co-ed fraternity, but she was like, you know, my big sister. We're still very close. And she helps me with a lot of the personal struggles, you know, balancing work life with being a mom. And it's been really wonderful to have somebody who is just two years kind of into my future that has a fresh perspective and just went through it and can help me go through that as well. So that's been very helpful. I also have lots of other mom friends just by joining groups online and friends from high school that have had children. And, you know, we talk about balancing family with working full time or being the the breadwinner of the family when you're also a mom and having the, that support. But I've also had lots of mentors in my in my work experience and, and that have helped to mold me for sure. You know, a great manager is one that sees the potential that you have and exercises that and, and you know, grows you to, to be the best that you can. And sometimes that means letting that person go. So if I'm working with a manager and they're like, you know, we you're doing wonderful. We've reached a point where I feel like there's not 
much more that you could that you could really learn from me. I think it's time for you to take that next step. You know, I had some I had a great manager train me to be a recruiter on good recruiting practices, being a good salesperson, having the grit to make thousands of cold calls. I think that's probably one of the most difficult things. And then and also the the owner of my last employer, my last company, he was a great resource and great mentor. And he was also a family person. He was a a dad and he was balancing running his own business with having a a positive family life. And he was an excellent salesperson. And one of the biggest things that I learned from him was always honesty and, you know, outweighing if something is in, is in everybody's best interest, you know, is it in our best interest for this person to, you know, go on this interview or not go on the interview or, or whatever it might be, the sharing of, of information. I don't know if that was too much, but yes, I've definitely had lots of <laughs> lots of mentors help me navigate recruiting. Anything you say is never too much. Uh, you always say like the, the, the exact right amount, like never too little or too much. You're like the like the Goldilocks the Goldilocks story in responses. Like it's always like the right amount. What are you um, buttering me up for, Lowell? What do you want? <laughs> what do I want? Um, I, I don't know. It's almost dinner. No, it's not dinner time. I was going to be like, I, I'd love some dinner. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I have my girlfriend for. She'll make me dinner. That's but, funny. Not that she always makes me dinner. Sometimes <laughs> we, we share. We share. It depends on where we're at. That's um, good. It's about balance. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm a better cook, though. She keeps doing this thing. She's going to listen to this and make fun of me. But she keeps, like, uh, she makes me grilled cheese and then she feeds me the butter when it's raw. Like, the one side of the grilled, you know how to make grilled cheese where you, like, you sear both sides so it's golden brown? Mm-hmm. She keeps not not cooking one side, so then when I like giving me the top side cooked, so when I bite into it, like I'm like, why is this gooey? <laughs> <laughs> That's and, different. That's different. Yeah, I am not a good cook. Uh, my husband does all of the cooking. He's the chef. So when we went looking for houses. And we were like, <laughs> you know, going through with the realtor and stuff. They'd be showing me the kitchen. And I'd be like, oh, I don't, I don't care about any of this. And I'd be like, Kyle, come in here. Do you, do you like the kitchen? <laughs> um, is this satisfactory for you? And I was like, cause I, you know, my opinion means nothing in this room. <laughs> well, I don't know. I was really hoping his name was Ted. <laughs> Ted. <laughs> Ted Mosby from I Met Your Mother. I was like, oh, he's an architect. He wanted to go to New That's York That's so City. funny that you said that. Yeah. No, my friend, I was actually, I have a koozie, a beer koozie. And my nanny was like, what is this from, you know, your friend's bachelorette party or whatever? We had signature koozies to take home. And it says, are you my Ted Mosby on the back? Because that's how she met her husband, who is not an architect. But What's a koozie? Is it like a, a mug? To keep your beer cold. Oh, okay. It's that's foam. how much alcohol I drink. <laughs> but when it when it kind of transitioning back to what we were talking about, <laughs> how do you develop mentors? Because for, for me, I just I read a lot of books and I listen to everything that anyone ever says to me, and I kind of take even like the person like cutting me off in in, in uh, as I drive, I consider them all kind of like teaching me things, like <laughs> patience and you know not having rage and anger if someone cuts me off in traffic or something like that. So, and I keep people keep telling me I should have mentors. So I'm just kind of curious. I think if you find someone that you respect and like you sort of look up to them or you value things in them that you feel like are your shortcomings, you know, you can develop a relationship with that person. And, you know, you can have mentors that are definitely on a deep personal level, you know, like maybe a grandmother or something like that, or just a professional 
you know, strictly professional mentor, somebody that you met through networking, or maybe you went to like professional meetup group or a teacher, you know, or a TA, anything, you know, that you see in someone that you would like to further, you know, you can sort of create those mentorships. And, but I I mean, I don't think having mentors is something that necessarily needs to be approached like a checklist, like either you have it or you don't. I think mentors come in and out of your life, you know, as is necessary. And, you know, those relationships grow and change over time, like, like any relationship would. The people that inspire me are like Abraham Lincoln, Benjamin Franklin, you know, George Church. So like many other people like that. So like most of them are kind of dead. I mean, those people yeah. work too much. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, I, uh, I don't know, probably too busy, but something to think about in that, like you can balance it. Like you don't necessarily need it depending on how observant you are. But then again, I don't know if I'm doing a good job, so don't listen to me. For going, Kind of like going full circle on that cool ability of yours to kind of be predictive in how you listen to people and kind of tell what they're, they're like, what they're actually getting about. Like, how did, how did you develop that skill? Like, kind of like really like almost like the first, I think that was the first question I asked you, like, but like, how did you develop that such a skill, like that monopoly of an ability? Hmm. Oh, gosh. Replicate it? I don't know. Um. I think having people in my life to help me recognize what I'm good at is helpful. In school, I had a lot of trouble with staying focused enough to, you know, complete a task or, you know, stay in my seat. <laughs> and I also like in in just, you know, more technical ability, I guess, was very even across the board. So it was hard to say you know, what I was going to do when I grow up. So I I think it was, you know, throughout elementary school, middle school, high school, it was like, I would get even scores across the board. And it was like, well, what do you like to do? Do you like math? Or do you like reading? And I was like, I don't know there. I don't really feel passionately about any one particular subject necessarily. But I really enjoyed my interactions with people. And I think when you're growing up, it is harder to recognize those as skills, because they're not as tangible or um, quantitative. And so, and it's hard for you as a child to see that those skills are something that would be of monetary value. Um, you know, being a salesperson or a recruiter is not necessarily something that you learn about in school and you don't sharpen those skills. Um, so having, you know, mentors come in and say, you know, you're really good at this. Like you're very good at conflict resolution. You're great at sitting down with people and helping them to, to see the middle ground or to come to a compromise, you know, and uh, honestly, and I don't mean to sound like weird braggy or whatever, but I think that there's just sort of a, a natural ability when it comes to interacting with people or maybe a little bit of nature and nurture, you know, looking at who your your parents were and the environment that you grew up in, you know, who your teachers were and that sort of thing to, to help you with that. Other people just saw like something that I was good at and then they hired me to do it. I never wanted to be a recruiter. Somebody called me off of Monster. They saw my resume online and they were like, hey, you know, why don't you come down and and meet with us. Do you know anything about recruiting? I had expressed interest in sales because I didn't want to be a wet lab chemist and I didn't want to work in a factory or in the middle of nowhere. I wanted to be where the people were and sales would be something that I could start at zero skill level and work my way up as any other person straight out of college would have to do. And I would be able to make money doing it and afford to live in New York City. And then they were like, you know, you're really good at this. You should do this. And then I would just take their suggestions and run with it a little bit. You know, have you probably going to be a no because it's a very esoteric book. There's this (laughs) book, there's this book in Italy called One Many Us. One Us, Many One. It's a really weird book, but the concept of the book 
is that there are many versions of us and every person you meet gets a different version of who you are and even like even i as lowell only get to see a portion of who i am through my own perspective and basically all of these perspectives are each valid and both and at the same time not completely who you are so no one ever gets to see a hundred percent of who sarah is and so when people look at you and they say hey you know you have these abilities you're probably good at that they're only seeing the part of you that they can understand and so i always wonder yeah do you ever do you ever are concerned that there are skills and, and abilities that you have that people have just never played for or you've never had the chance to develop and you'd probably be just amazing at them because no one has ever been able to like, oh, you're, you're good at math. Well, that's kind of like when you're a kid and, and you're thinking about different activities to put your to put your child in or, or that you want to do and you're like, well, how do you choose between the piano and the guitar and the violin when you've never touched or seen any of them and you're five years old? Like, how do you decide which one? Or how do you know that you're not a good horseback rider if you just could never afford to take lessons or that just wasn't um, available to you? Just and I think about it as a mom, I guess. And like, how am I going to raise my child to to explore all the avenues of her her wonder? Well, I think you do good in politics. Like Abraham Lincoln, for instance, he, he had that ability. He kind of, like, <laughs> he'd listen to people for a couple minutes. He'd be like, I know what they're going to do. Yeah. So, you know, New York is a great place, and you get to meet. You're already developing this network of people that know that you're competent, and then they'll vote for you, so you can become Mayor Sarah. Yeah. I don't want to say your last name. I, you know, I've thought about politics, but then like you have to, you have to have so much money to support yourself through that because you have to start as such a lowly, you know, lowly lobbyist and with no salary. So I just don't know. I don't know how you can get into politics without money, which I think is a flaw in our system that needs to be addressed. But I mean, I know there's other ways obviously to do it. Like you could be a lawyer and then a judge or a politician or whatever, but I don't know. I think I, I think I'm too emotional to be an actual politician because I just get so upset about <laughs> whatever's going on in the news. And I'm like, somebody needs to do something about this. I'd be at the border of Mexico right now, like trying to match up children with their parents or like, you know, Whatever I don't know. Whatever's going on, I think I'd be too emotional for that. But <laughs> you could be a stateswoman then, like a statesman. But like, cause that's what statesmen do. But I assume stateswomen exist as well. So you could be one of them. Yeah. Like, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, there you and go. I, and you kind of implied you ride horses, so you could be like one of the rough riders. No, quite the opposite. I would have liked to ride horses, but it wasn't. It wasn't something that my family was going to pay for. Uh, horses are scary. They're like it's they a sentient. It's not, well, it's not sentient, but like they're, they're like mirrors. Like, I don't know if you ever noticed this, if you've been around a horse, but horses mirror humans really strongly, which mm-hmm. is why there's this thing called equine therapy where people can, they're basically a pair of horses that were abused. And so like in training the horse, like you learn how to like understand yourself again. And so it's like, but yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Like to, cause like you have a living animal, in, in, you know, on, that you're on top of, and it's like, <laughs> this thing really dislikes you. <laughs> you get rid of you. It is. Yeah. Like, it is yeah. odd. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. I saw that on Nashville. I don't know if anybody watches that show. I don't know if anybody watches that show, but I'm like a a big dork for country music. And it's kind of like blends country music with Broadway, which is like a very niche area. So it's a very specific audience of people. <laughs> and they actually had like a character that was um, working at a farm doing equine therapy. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've never heard. I only know Nashville, the place that people live at. <laughs> Nashville. Nash. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, then the last question is, and it probably feeds off of this one, is like, what type of things are you a nerd about? So, like, clearly that TV show is very nerdy. But <laughs> what other things are you a nerd about? So I think last time we talked to you asked, like, what kind of nerd am I? And so, like, when Pokemon, the app, the app came out, I downloaded it on my iPhone, and I played Pokemon with my girlfriends, and we're all, like, uh, encroaching 30 years old. So that was, you know, child nostalgia. I guess I'm, I'm nerdy when it comes to stuff like that. Like, they just put out, like, a whole line of Lisa Frank school supplies or something or Lisa Frank and SpongeBob. That's what it was. They, it was like a partnership between Lisa Frank and SpongeBob and they release it at Hot Topic and like never shop at Hot Topic except for that. <laughs> I watch Jeopardy almost every single day with my husband. That's probably like really embarrassing. I wouldn't even share that with my closest friends because we, <laughs> we just are so proud if we know the answer to things. And it's definitely a little bit of a contest between the two of us of who can answer more questions or who can answer faster, especially the final question. If you know the final question, you're the boss. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I'm a big nerd about math. I love like math theory, which is probably my dad's fault. Cause he's a, or was a calculus professor. And I love science. I think science is fascinating. So that's why I studied chemistry was I just think that molecules and atoms and especially biochemistry is just magical. So I'm pretty nerdy about that. I think that's it. And any, then quilting. Yeah. Yeah. Quilting. <laughs> Can't forget that. But, um, any recommended books or anything that you recommend people read? I always... I read like a book a day. So like I need more things to read. Oh my gosh, you do. I'm so jealous of that. So the last book I read is actually, it's not related to recruiting at all. It's totally nonfiction and somewhat disturbing in material. So if you're a sensitive person, maybe don't read it, but it's Difficult Women by Roxanne Gay. Just short stories about women. The next one on my list is a a friend gave it to me is the, The Husband's Secret, which I think has been out for a very long time. So I'm just behind on that one. Uh, I listen to more podcasts than I do read just because, you know, the only free time that I really have in the evening I spend with my daughter. And then when she goes to bed at nine, like I might read recruiting material or emails or I read like the skim newsletter. But I've been listening to the talent cast with James Ellis just about recruiting, which is kind of nice because as the only recruiter at Truveris or the only dedicated recruiter, because we do have like, you know, a recruiting coordinator, I'm kind of alone in my principles or alone in my struggles. So I don't have anybody to like get with and be like, oh my gosh, I have so many interviews today. I'm exhausted. Or, you know, so how do you stay motivated? Or I'm looking to switch up my my pitch on LinkedIn. Like, do you have any suggestions? So I don't have any resources like that at my new job. So it's nice to listen to this guy. And he kind of refreshes me a little bit and gets me excited again and keeps the creative juices flowing. Excellent. I will check all those out. I was seeing if I had any book recommendations for you based off of that. I recommend Man's Search for Meaning, but it's, it's really it's like a small book. It's a horrific book, but it's also a very meaningful book. It's a book about meaning and like finding the pauses in between. Actually, you would really love that because you can kind of understand people. Mm-hmm. I think you would like that because the, the guy, it's about a guy who is a psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz and how he found meaning after so much, like how he found meaning and like what he learned from that experience. And there's like two really significant things mm-hmm. that you can learn from that book, but I won't spoil it for you, but it's a really small book. It's like okay. maybe only 200 pages. 
That's good. I like small. I can read small. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like the Tao of Pooh. <laughs> I want to pick that up. It sounds really nice. Yeah, the Tao of Pooh. It's good. Yeah. You should read it. Everybody should read it. It's like all the right. theory that all of the characters are different different personalities that could be related to people in your life and or you know have you ever taken that quiz it's like the 16 personalities and if you know that about somebody you can be a better team player with them or or work with them better because you understand like what motivates them and and how they are able to understand things i'm a uh, weird logical one there's like only one percent of me logician intp uh i think there's a j in there i don't know it's been a while i'll redo it i'll tell you how it goes you should. I'm the protagonist, <laughs> apparently. I believe it. No, I would. No, I believe you're the antagonist. <laughs> hey, the anti-hero. It's like the you know the main character that everyone loves to hate. <laughs> yeah, you're like uh, Frank Underwood in politics. <laughs> yeah. And that was Sarah with Truveras, technical recruiter extraordinaire. That's literally not her title. I'm just kind of eccentric. In this episode, you got quite a lot some advice, some situational things. So if you're not being appreciated, how to grow in any situation. I think there was something here for everyone. If you're looking for hiring, if you're looking to get a better job or to make most of your job you have, I think this was the episode for you. Let me know what you think. Honestly, I'd make more of this if you like it. Other than that, I want to inform people before we go that there is a new way to show support for the podcast and to keep it advertisement free from now until forever, which is called Patreon. If you go to Patreon and look for Learning with Lowell, you'll see this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell Was Here, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends. Please and thank you.